All right, so if you have your Bibles, please, please turn them to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. But Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9 says, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, Father, we ask that you please would help us to understand this passage, unpack this for our hearts and minds and our lives and our ministries that we're involved with with you. Lord, we know that you've got a call upon our lives And Lord, we believe it's right here in Ephesians 2, verse 10. This is your vision for us as we are making disciples in this great commission. Matthew 28, you tell us to do these things, Jesus. But what is it we're moving towards? Lord, we believe that this is revealed here. You've got a call. You've got a purpose. You've got a plan for each and every one of us that's here. So God... Help us, because I know the world is barraging us with thousands, tens of thousands of its messages of what we should do and how we should be as we have these New Year's resolutions. But Lord, we don't need a new solution. We need you. Help us, Lord, to get off our own path and the world's paths, Satan's path for that matter, Lord. Help us to be on your path. Lord, please speak to us, minister to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat if you would, please. God has your life all mapped out. I'm going to repeat that again. God has your life all mapped out. We looked at this earlier. In the book of Jeremiah, you could turn there if you wish, but in Jeremiah chapter 1, like you see here on the display, Jeremiah chapter 1 God tells Jeremiah here in verse 5, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So Jeremiah, he's like you and me. You guys remember his response? Like, Lord, I'm but a youth. He's just like you. He's just like me. Full of doubt full of anxiety, full of worry. Is that any of you guys? I'm still like this, and God's still working with me. You are his workmanship. God's not through with you yet. Not yet. Jeremiah thought he couldn't be used by God. My guess is, you're just like him. You're just like me. That used to be my excuse too. God, you can't can't use my mouth. I'm too shy. I stutter. I shake, stammer. Like he helped me quite a bit. But that used to be my excuse too. God had a purpose for Jeremiah though. God had a calling on his life. And then as you see here in Jeremiah chapter 1, God goes on to disciple him. I love the fact that he says in verse 6, Jeremiah does, as he gives his excuse up to God, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. And God doesn't even really sit there and go, oh, let's talk about that. Let me help you with that. He kind of just counsels that out. I love that. 
Look at this in verse 7. If you're there, I'll just read it to you. Jeremiah 1. Going on with the dialogue in verse 7, The Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Hey, God was going to give him orders, and then he simply would obey those orders. Just listen to me, is what God might say to you. Verse 8 goes on to describe the problem that you and I have. He says to Jeremiah, Do not be afraid of their faces. Isn't that kind of the fact that you and I have fear, right? Fear of, we might call, rejection. God, I can't tell them God loves them and Jesus died for their sins. What if they reject me? I know it says it in the Bible. I know you command me. I know your spirit's welling up within me. And that living water wants to flow. Oh, but, and then we have all these excuses, right? We fill in the dotted line. You can't use me. I'm too young. You can't use me. I forgot my Bible. You can't use me. (laughs) It's usually because of things like time, money, self. And I love what God does as he disciples, not just Jeremiah, but me and you too. Do not be afraid of their faces. So he goes on to tell you, just like Jeremiah, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Look, look what he does. The Lord Discipling Jeremiah takes Jeremiah's focus off of who? Point to who Jeremiah is focused on. Point to who you get focused on. And notice who he redirects Jeremiah's focus to. To who? To God. I love that. Does God do that with you and me? Yeah. Same thing, same principle. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their faces. Look to me. I am with you to deliver you. That's the whole thing. That God is with you. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words into your mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, church, lift up your sword. Got an electronic sword? (laughs) Maybe your phone? E-sword. God has given you... That's what it is. God has given you his word, hasn't he? Look at that. You and I got no excuse. Back then, Jeremiah didn't even have this. He was walking it out. You and I have it encapsulated in this encyclopedia, if you will. It's called the Holy Bible, 66 books. I have put my words into your mouth. He might say to you and I today, don't be afraid of them. I've given you my word. He might say to you and I, hey, you've got the Bible. You've got it electronically. You've got dozens at home, everywhere you look. See, I have set this day over, this day set you, I have this day set you, sorry, over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Notice in verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? He tells him twice in this chapter, What do you see? You know what I see here? That God is discipling Jeremiah. That God is teaching Jeremiah how to see. He's teaching Jeremiah how to hear. Because he already told him, I've ordained you a prophet to the nations, the Goyim, the Gentiles. That would have been very scary for a Jew to hear. I'm going to teach you how to hear from me so you can speak on my behalf. I'm going to show you how to see 
from my perspective, I'm going to put my words in your mouth, and you're going to speak on my behalf. So he says, Jeremiah, what do you see? This is Jeremiah verse 11. And I, see, I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well. He's discipling him. He's teaching him how to see, how to hear from the Lord. He didn't even know. This is how God gets rid of your excuses and mine. He redirects your focus upon him and for you and I to focus on what? His work. What do you see? I see a branch of an almond tree. You have seen well, for I'm ready to perform, notice he says, my word. I'm ready to perform my word. The next verse, again, the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, what do you see? He might tell you like how I sense he tells me, Drew, what do you see? Oh, Lord, I'm so scared. You're focusing on you. You're focusing on them. You need to focus on him. You, Lord, I'm sorry. And I need to keep my nose, my eyes in your book, in the word. What do you see? What do you hear from me? Let me put my words in your mouth is what the Lord might say to you today. Maybe some of you are here today and you feel like Jeremiah. Well, never fear. God has given you his word. God wants to put his word into your mouth. Your job is to get God's word in and the Holy Spirit's job is to what? Bring it out. But he can't bring it out if it ain't in there. Make sense? Thus the need to read and study the entire Bible. Amen? We need that. What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it is facing away from the north. You can go on to read the rest of the chapter and the rest of the book. Big book. But what Jeremiah has found is that in his dialogue with his heavenly dad, what God did is he starts to disciple him, teaching Jeremiah how to see, teaching Jeremiah how to hear from him. And lo and behold, he finds that he's actually on now God's path. Is that what he does with you and me? Kind of similar, isn't it? So God goes on to disciple Jeremiah. That's a lot like what I think God is trying to do with many of you and I here today. Today is going to be a little different as we close out this year and as we finish this last Sunday of this calendar year and walk into the next. Again, I want to encourage you, get one of these if you didn't get it. You can get another one too from Miss Letitia. Uh, We print up a whole bunch of these. We can print up more. I want you to have this. You've been already seeing this on the church building window. If you follow us on Facebook for the last two years, you've seen like, I think close to 60 messages on this. Why? Because just like what God wants to do, not just with Jeremiah, you can study also the life of Moses, Moses, Exodus 3, uh, Isaiah and Isaiah 6, and your life and mine, God wants you to hear his message, his vision. The world wants to give you their vision. But God wants to speak to you and I. So this is a lot like what God is trying to do with many of us here. So as we close out this year, I want you and I to take a look again. If you've been here for a couple of years, you saw this maybe two years ago or so. And if I want to put your life and my life on a timeline, so to speak, in accordance with God's word, it might look a little something like this. Again, in Ephesians chapter 2, let's go back to what we read earlier. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Notice he says that we should walk in them. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to break this down a little bit. We're just going to look at the very first phrase in verse 10. We can say Ephesians 2, 
10a. We are his workmanship. You're his workmanship. First want to keep preaching that to you. Some of us need to hear that. That might be healing for some of you here. Now, I know if you're like how it was for me growing up, somewhat with my dad or even my bride, Susan, you may have heard negative words. Maybe it's, oh, you're no good. You're not going to amount to anything. You're never going to be successful. Or maybe you've got friends like that. Sometimes you start to excel in life and business and on the job or whatever it might be. And, and your friends might try to drag you down. Could be because of jealousy. Sometimes people are just mean. So this might be healing today to know that you are God's workmanship. I'm going to break that down a little bit for you today because I believe God wants you to know what his plan is for your life. But if you were, again, just to describe this a little bit since we have this on the display, if we're to draw somewhat of a timeline all the way from, if you want to say, eternity past, God started this work before Genesis 1.1, which is what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before all the galaxies, all the planets, all the people, all the angels, all the animals, before everything was created, God had a calling, a purpose for you. This is why you exist right now. It's not for your degree. It's not for your family. It's not for your marriage. It's not for all those self-involved things that are only going to be temporary. It's for you to be saved first through Jesus Christ and then to serve him, to walk with him. And it'll be different for each and every one of us. So God created a calling for you, for your life. Again, we just read this in Ephesians 2 verse 10. That you're created in Christ Jesus for what? What does it say there in verse 10? For good works. God did a good work and he's wanting you to copy. God did a good work and he's wanting you to copy him. He created some kind of a calling for your life. Now, I do want to say as we start this mini-series, you might sit there and go, I've heard this before. And Drew, you keep saying it. Good. Because one of the teaching techniques is repetition. Just like you read in the Bible, you're like, wow, just like every chapter, you're telling me to repent. Guess what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do? Repent! Okay? Pretty simple. <laughs> so I've got to know the Bible and read and study throughout books of the Bible. You're going to hear a constant message. And the world is screaming for you to listen to it. But God's Spirit wants you to obey His calling. So God gave you a calling. It's crafted in His calling as He created this for your life and mine. And my guess is, statistically, I found that just about every Christian I come across, just about, seems to want to be discipled. Why? Because this verse that we just read. Once you get saved, now the Holy Spirit who authored Ephesians 2 verse 10 is sometimes his still small voice could be like it is with me, almost screaming within you. He doesn't scream, but it's that voice that you know. It's like that irritating itch. It just doesn't stop, right? Like the finger on the chalkboard. Remember the chalkboard? Who here remembers chalkboard? We don't even have chalkboards today. Like, <laughs> It's just that sound, that nagging It's a still small voice, though. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get your foot off of your path or Satan's path. And if it's like how it was for me for decades, 
and to then go on his path. I'm talking to born-again, spirit-filled Christians that most of us were never discipled. We're never reading and knowing the book, the Bible, so we're not applying it. So guess what? No maturity, no growth. And yet God has a call for your life. So he's got a calling for your life. That occurred before your birthday. I just celebrated my birthday a little while ago. Susan did hers too. We're December babies. I'm 55 now, and I'm like, wow. (laughs) That might not feel old to you. My body's like, yep, get used to it. (laughs) Before your physical birthday, though, God had a calling on your life. And then your salvation day, where if I could borrow from this, he turned you from the caterpillar to the butterfly. Good picture. You're now a new creation in Christ. And now... Just like when you go to the mall and you see the red dot on the map, you are here. For many Christians I've come across, they're still stuck here. And if they keep doing this and not answering God's call to serve him somehow publicly in the body of Christ, they're going to actually be found rejecting the Lord. It's like, no, but Jesus, you're Lord. I told you so. And Jesus might say, as you read the passage, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? So he's maybe Lord verbally, but not realistically. That's how it was for me. So the question I want to have you answer as we go through this mini-series, and I, I need to elongate this. For, forgive me. If, like next week, if some of you guys don't show up, like, maybe that's why. I don't know. I hope and pray that you keep coming back. But the question that you need to ask yourself and answer, not to me, but to God. I'm just his vessel. That's it. Love me or hate me. I need to preach this to you. The answer that you have is basically this, the question you answer. Am I going to walk in God's calling or am I going to reject his calling? And if you're like how I had to fess up with the Lord, it's, Lord, I want to stop rejecting your calling. I know you're calling me. And maybe you look at me and go, wow, that guy Drew, he's just one of a chorus of voices. That's how God speaks many times, right? He'll speak in stereo. And perhaps the Lord brought you in today because he's wanting you not to close out this year and go into next year with the resolution, but his solution. And it's not about self. It's about your Savior. He got you saved because you're created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. You need to not just hear it, but please heed it. And this is why we're here. So back to our passage at hand. We notice here in Ephesians 2, verse 10, what we're going to look at today, and mostly just cover, we're going to slowly go through this. I want to encourage you to keep coming in, because we're going to go down this in a sort of graduated way as we go through this verse. This is something that the Holy Spirit's already been preaching to your heart on. And it might be this verse, it might sound a different way, but here's how ubiquitous this is. I love doing this with born-again, spirit-filled Christians. How many of you know that God is calling you? How many of you know? Raise your hands and look around the room. Can you? Because in the privacy of your own heart, you might feel, I feel like I'm kind of weird there. It's just just me. You can feel like Jeremiah. It's like, I'm but a youth. Or Moses, I can't speak. Or Isaiah, when God's revealing his call, it's like, how long I got to do this? You might feel weird as God's speaking to you. But it's not. It's, like I said, ubiquitous. Once the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, now he's going to keep speaking to you over and over because now he lives within you. 
He's speaking directly to your spirit. Before you're saved, he's trying to get in. And what's he doing? Pointing to the fact that you're a sinner. Christ Jesus, the Messiah, he died on the cross for your sins, rose from the grave. He's trying to get in. And once the Holy Spirit's in, now he's going to speak to you more and more. Now what's he going to do? Clean up. <laughs> How many of you parents, you tell your kids, we used to make it, clean up, clean up. Kind of make it fun, right? Now, how many of us, maybe that's what God's wanting to do in your life, right? Constantly, like it is with mine. So back to our passage at hand. Look at this in verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. You may have seen this before. This word for workmanship is the Greek word poema. Poem. Poem. You're God's workmanship. Another translation is masterpiece. Hey, wait a second. I don't feel like no masterpiece here, Drew. <laughs> I didn't write the book. I'm just here to hopefully faithfully deliver to you God's word. And like I said, that might be healing for some of you, like it was for me, like it was for my bride Susan, to know that you are his work of art. You're his poem. God is not through with you yet. You're his poetry. That's the actual Greek word. We are his poema, poem. Now, a poem is, you might say, it's a work of art. It's, it's something that the originator crafted as a way that he or she can express themselves. We might do that verbally. There's a lot of poetry. We write poetry to music in our songs. David did that through the Psalms. A lot of people do that today. They usually use that in today's society, not for the glory of God, but for whoever, someone else. God wants to make you his poem, his poetry. And who here likes poetry? I love poetry. By the way, any of you guys see that old movie, Dead Poet Society? Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, it was a good movie. I love poetry. You know that God loves you to be his poetry. He wants you to be his work of art, his masterpiece. This is the word. We are his poem. You're his poem. His poema. A work of art. And I just did a screen capture of my Bible study software. This is what Thayer says. That which has been made. Now when you look at this, notice here, I already captured this too. It only occurs in the Bible three times, this word. only occurs three times. And once other time it's used is Romans 1, verse 20. You know when we study through the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 tells you, again, there's, there are no atheists, right? Just people that suppress the truth. But also that God is revealing himself, his existence and his creativity through his creation, through nature. Romans 1, verse 20 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made the things that are poema hey romans 1 uses this word to declare that god created everything his poem his poetry even amidst what you might call the cosmos the stars the people the planets everything the human eye when you study whatever it is that god made it is so glorious isn't it it's his poema and so nobody has that excuse to say, well, I don't believe in a God. No, he declares his existence. 
All you got to do is look at nature, the things. Now, it's not Mother Nature, it's Father God who created everything. And in a similar way, he wants your life and mine to be set up as his poem so that as others look at you, they go, I know there's a God because you're using that guy's life or that girl's life. I know who they used to be, but they're not who they used to be. And what is it? It's just a Bible and a God they talk to that through Jesus Christ, he's transformed them? That doesn't make sense. Tell me about this Jesus. That's exactly what he wants. So Jesus said, let your light so shine. Didn't he? That those who see your good works may glorify your Father in heaven. That's what he wants. So in Romans 1 verse 20, in its usage there, God made everything. And he put it on display so that you and I can see that it testifies to his creative genius and to his existence. Nobody's without excuse. Again, you are God's creation. You're his new creation. A lot of us like to look at the butterfly. If you have your hand here in Ephesians, please turn to the left. Go to 2 Corinthians. Go to chapter 5, verse 17. You are God's new creation. Again, this might be healing to some people here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're new creation in Christ. And in this new creation, you are created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Some of us, this might be your first hearing of this. For some of us, you're like, okay, Drew, you've been preaching this for years. How long am I going to be preaching this? Until we can disciple you to walk in these works that he made Before, if you look at the other slide, before planet Earth was even created. And if you're like me, I had to apologize. Lord, I wasted the majority of my life. I remember being in my 20s going, I felt like I wasted so much time, so much money. And all my friendships, all everything was just a waste. I had to kind of, it's all basura. As we say in Spanish, just throw it all away. Really, everything's new now in Christ. Because I just created everything in Adam. It was all filth. It was all garbage. It was all like the flesh, we might say. It was all self-indulgence. My life as a DJ. Just everything. My, my record collection had a, a wall full of records. Tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff. You know what that was all? After a while, after Christ? I'll tell you in Espanol again. Basura! <laughs> all was garbage. <laughs> it was just nothing. Old things had passed away. And there was still some part of me who's like, but wait a second, this is a lot of money. Wait a second, this is my old hobby. Wait a second, this is my love, my passion. I did it, I did it well for years. It was nothing now. meant nothing. Old things have passed away. So some of you may need to let those old things pass away, whatever they are. You know, maybe it's not records. Maybe it's, <laughs> some of us, we get older, it's a CD collection or whatever it might be. But you are God's new creation. Will you allow him to birth something new through you? He still wants to. Again, this might be healing to some people. 
Maybe you heard things like, you're never going to be successful. You're never going to amount to anything. You're not this. You're not that. But God says, you are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. You're his poem. He's the poet. He's the creator. He's the author. And he wants to put you on display to the world. The world might point their fingers and go, oh, look at this person. They're still a sinner. They're still this and that. You're not perfect. That's why you need a perfect Savior. Amen? I'm still not perfect. My wife will tell you. My kids will tell you. I'm still not perfect. And I don't want to be because I need a perfect Savior. I just need to remember that I'm weak. And I need him. I need him badly. I need him daily. So you're God's workmanship, and he's not through with you yet. Also, if you have your Bibles here, turn to the right. If you go to Ephesians, go to the right of that. Just a couple pages. Go to Philippians 1. Philippians 1, verse 6, and we'll get to chapter 2 also. So today is different. We're not going through a particular book. We just ended Romans. But before we do our kickoff into 1 Corinthians, the next book in our series, uh, which I'm planning for January 21st, I think is how it hits on the calendar, third Sunday in January, we're going to be looking at this. So it's a little bit topical, but we want to do it contextual though. Okay, within context. God's at work right now in your life. Look at this in Philippians 1, verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a, what? Good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know that God started the work? (laughs) You didn't do it. He did it. Your part is maybe faith. (laughs) That's it. I'm a sinner. You want to take my beat up? Messed up life, and you want to recycle it and repurpose it for your usage, your glory? Okay, what do you get out of it? You know the reality? Nothing. What does he benefit? Nothing. What do we do? Sin. What did he do? Send his son to die for our sins. He wants to have fellowship with us, though. That's the character and nature of God. This agape love. You can't explain it. If you can, it's not from God. That's his grace. It's a part of his grace. And his love is mercy. So he wants to take you, and he started a good work, and he's going to be faithful to complete it. Go to chapter 2 now. You can read the whole book later on. But chapter 2, verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who, notice it says, works in you both to will. This is a good doctrine here. Both to will and to do. For his good pleasure. Most of the time, if you were like me, you didn't do anything. You did nothing for his pleasure. You did everything for self. Didn't you? That's how it was. It's impossible, apart from Jesus Christ, to do anything to glorify or please God. You did everything for self, for self-pleasure. But notice, once you are saved, he is at work in you, Look at this again, Philippians 2, verse 13. Both, those two things here, first, to will, second, to do, for his good pleasure. Do you know that God is trying to do a work within you? And between the first step, to will, to get you to desire to do what he wants, and second, to do, some of us, between those two things, in that one little verse, we split the verse in half, and many Christians I've talked with, they spend their entire life wasted between that verse. 
They know what God wants them to do. Repent, do what he wants. But they never do his will. So they never please God. Like they get their fire insurance, they die. Yes, I'm saved. It's like, well, come in. <laughs> well, I want to be that Christian, that follower of Jesus, that's well done, good and faithful servant. You got to serve someone. Each and every one of us are serving someone. Do you know that? The atheist has a God. Who is the atheist God? Self. And they don't even know it. Everybody has a God. Your God and your Lord is usually the one that you focus on, think on, talk to the most, do the most for. And you'll do things for their good pleasure, won't you? It's because I love them. But I'm married. But I have kids. But Well... Don't let that become an idol in your life. It, it can happen. It can happen to all of us. But God is at work right now in your life. He's trying to get you to will, to want, to desire his will so that you, second, do what he's wanting you to do. And don't be like how I was for years. I even wanted to serve God but I wanted to serve him if I wanted to when I felt like it. And I had other brothers come and tell me, you know what, you serve God only if you feel like it, when you want, if you feel, you know. Guess who you're serving? Like, uh, guess I'm self-worshipping. I'm serving all in myself. Yep. And I had to do some serious hardcore repenting because God wanted me to do something else. I didn't want to do this. I wanted to do computers for Christ. I was good at it. I made a lot of money doing it. That's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to keep doing that. It was like a write-your-own-check kind of job I had, and I even knew at that time that, and I even told a brother uh, that was there with me. Some of you guys met him. He came out when I first came out here in 2002. Uh, we prayed, and we'd give over that place. It's a place called Rockwell in Orange County, California. Beautiful place. It was the largest employer in Orange County, California. 5,000 people, true campus, 10 buildings, huge place. So as a computer nerd, I wanted to work for the company that had the biggest network, and I wanted to work at their corporate location. That was it. They had 50 locations worldwide. It was Newport Beach, California. A uh, great place. And I knew when I was there, sensing that, I think, Lord, you've got me here until you're going to call me out to ministry. I remember that. And part of me was like, I, you know, I could stay here. Uh, this is a nice, comfy job. <laughs> I was single at that time. And they loved single guys. Computer geeks. Why? They'll give you a laptop and a pager. You go home. You got no weekend. Holidays. Oh, we'll give you triple pay on holidays. Like, yes. I didn't even have enough time to spend the money. We're making so much money. Uh, a brother of mine, uh, or a friend, one brother that was there, he was working so much with just the overtime. Just overtime. Not regular pay. Just overtime. You know, double time, triple time. He bought a complete mobile home, an RV. So like, I remember looking at that going, oh my gosh, this company. But he's like, yeah. And he wasn't very good. When he got in trouble on computers, he'd call me or some of the other techies. But he was milking it. But anyhow, what I'm saying is I was there and I got sucked into that trap. Like, okay, God, I know for while I'm here, I think you're going to call me out. You're going to call my number at some point in time. And after a while, I got kind of comfy. Like, you know, I could stay here. This is nice. Sure, I'll give you 10%. <laughs> but I was making a lot of money at that time. And then the Lord called me to leave that. And it was, it was a trial. <laughs> it was tough. And now I went from 
having a house in my name and a, I had a Toyota Camry, better than the one we have now, babe. <laughs> it was almost all paid off. Uh, beautiful house in Tustin. It was uh, Orange County, California. D- two stories, my own parking spot underneath. Beautiful, I'm sorry. <laughs> Lar- uh, high ceilings like this on the second floor. Beautiful clamshell type tub. Beautiful place. And the Lord's like, get rid of it, sell it. Like, what? <laughs> what? That was also a test. So, <laughs> so now I not only didn't have a job, uh, raking in the dough and a nice car, um, <laughs> I was now living in a place with three other brothers. I had my own place. That was nice. And I, I was now renting. Went from having a mortgage and you know, got rid of that. He had me give away the money to him. like, what? I had to obey. I didn't know that he was training me, that those were the days, those are the times, the years of preparation. Because later on, 9-11 would happen, and I didn't know. Some of you guys don't know, this is, for Calvary Chapel, this is the 9-11 church. This is the fruit of all the ministry that was done, post 9-11 at Ground Zero. That God was wanting to birth this fellowship, because he was thinking of each and every one of you. And it's just amazing. So God is doing a work in your life, and I want for you what he's done with so many of us. There's many folks, and I'm not the only one in this fellowship, many of us here, that God has got us where we forsake the things of the world, the things of self, and we want to take up his calling. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. My guess is, as we prayed, the Holy Spirit brought each and every one of you in today, because God is trying to get your attention. And he doesn't want you to just close out this year and go, okay, let me have a New Year's resolution, and it's all self and nothing really about God. You even pray for it. And God's like, nope. Why? Because if you pray according to his will, he hears us, we learn in First John. So you've got to know his will so that he answers. He's not going to answer your will, is he? If God answers your will, your desire... Who's God? He is. And he ain't Santa Claus. He's not a naughty and nice list. He will answer and do according to his will because he's God. That means you need to repent and you need to seek him for who he is. And if you're like how I was, stop playing games with him. So God's right now trying to do a work in your life. He's trying to shape you and I into being his poetry. And just like a poet with a poem wants to put on display, but he wants the credit. You see, guys, if you do it in your way, in your timing, with your strength and your will and your power and your wisdom, if you call it that, or ingenuity, guess who gets the credit? You. But when you're just like how many of us in the Bible are, or even myself, that's probably some of us here too, you're just like, I have a good-for-nothing life, and... If you could take my life and you want to transform me and recycle me and be used for your purpose, well, when you push me out there, then I'm just going to tell people, it's all God. It's the grace of God. And that's how he does it. So I want to encourage you, even as we looked at earlier today. By the way, if you're taking notes, let me give you a couple of places in the Bible to study and look at people in the Bible when they heard and answered God's calling. We looked at Jeremiah chapter 1. You can read the whole chapter later on. Jeremiah chapter 1, he's discovering and dialoguing with God on his calling. Isaiah chapter 6, 
You also see Isaiah being called by God. He's telling him what he's going to do. He's going to have a fruitless calling. And you know the passage in Isaiah 6, verse 8. Here am I, send me. It's emphatic, right? God tells him what he's going to do. The second thing that came out of Isaiah's mouth was what? Lord, how long? <laughs> how long I got to do that for? It's like, here am I, send me. Like, oh, <laughs> we got to talk about this. The principle of availability. God wants to use your availability, not your ability. Don't fear if you don't feel qualified. I still don't feel qualified to serve God how he has me. He will qualify you. He will enable you. Also, you could study uh, the life of Moses. Again, I believe it's Exodus chapter 3. A large dialogue that he has going back and forth where God's calling him. So God is right now trying to shape you into being his poetry. The master is creating you into his masterpiece. We don't have time to go through a lot of the things that I wanted to cover, uh, but just real quickly, you can note it down and study it later on. In the book of Genesis, we see the life of Joseph, sold by who into slavery in Egypt? His brothers. What? His brothers. Maybe you feel like, oh, my life started off a mess. Well, what about his? He ended up in Egypt, and now God kept promoting him. Now he's number two. In the, that was the main world power at that time. He's now number two in Egypt. It's like being number two in the world, right below Pharaoh. And then there's a huge famine in the land, and now his family comes, and he, he didn't know that God was preparing him to be his poetry, his masterpiece. He didn't know he was going to be a type of Christ. So then later on, his family gets saved. It's like, bring them in, bring dad, bring everybody in. So that's how they got to Egypt. And then you learn about the book of Exodus with Moses. God's now preparing Moses. Moses goes and commits murder. God, you can't use a murderer. Yes, he can. Paul himself was a murderer. Uh, I'm going to show you on the display a friend of mine who's a born-again Christian, who was uh, New York's, we would say, most infamous serial killer at one point in time. Now being used by the Lord. We'll see. But in the book of Exodus, we see Moses now, after committing murder, he's now fleeing. He spends 40 years out in the wilderness taking care of who? Sheep. And God was training him to take care of sheep to then one day take care of God's people. Same thing with David. Don't despise those days of small beginnings where God is preparing you and I. Uh, the book of Philippians, by the same guy that wrote this book that we looked at, Paul. He's doing what God wanted him to do. He ends up in prison. In Philippians 1.12, I will read this. It says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That's Philippians 1 verse 14. Why would Paul think like this? Because Paul knew that he was God's workmanship. Now, wait a second. What's the worst thing that can happen to me if I am walking on God's path doing his will? Well, I might go to prison. You got a prison ministry then. And if that happens, that's God's will for you. Like, that's bonkers. That means nothing really can happen to a Christian. That's what Paul's teaching us there. You, you imagine the people in Philippi, like, 
Lord, just like you busted Peter out of prison in the book of Acts, bust him out. And Paul's like, no, no, no. <laughs> these Roman guards are getting saved. And these were the elite guards. They go now and serve in Caesar's court. Like, what? And then the gospel starts to spread around. <laughs> That's amazing. So what can keep a Christian down? Self. If you obey the call of God, there is nothing that will happen to you. If so, it's either that God did it, like he planned it, or allowed it, and it's going to be for his purpose. Here's what it says in Romans 8, verse 28. You know, we just studied through this as we completed the entire book of Romans, praise God. It says in Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good. How many things? All things, Christian. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to, notice it says, his purpose. According to his purpose. So God can change caterpillars into butterflies. He could change a you know, filthy person how I was and how many of us were. That's how you were. And to someone that he's still trying to do a work in my life. I'm going to share as we close here. This is a friend of mine. David Berkowitz, previously known as the Son of Sam serial killer. This was taken in, what, 2010. Uh, actually, my son Joshua <laughs> got to meet him twice. I understood going up there with my wife Susan that he probably hasn't seen babies or held very many babies. Some of you guys heard of the Son of Sam serial killer? Any of you guys? Who heard of him? Or have you seen that Spike Lee movie, Summer of Sam? It was based upon like what happened. He terrorized New York City. It was really hot during that summer. People were scared to go outside. They all stayed inside. It's too sweaty in here because of what he did in terrorizing New York City. Well, when I was working for American Bible Society, uh, I, I remember they were like, you know, find some, some good people to talk with and we could interview. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I connected with him, wrote letters back and forth. He was in an upstate prison at that time. Uh, he is still, but he got transferred to another location. So I went to go visit him a bunch of times. Took my Bible in talk with him, sat across the table with him, just him and me, and I'm just checking out his his doctrine. I'm like, Lord, I think this guy's one of us. <laughs> I've heard from others that, yeah, he's an actual, authentic, born-again Christian. So I was talking with him. He was just spouting uh, Bible verses, just speaking about it. We had fellowship, and I told him, man, I wish you were in Queens. He knows Queens. I told him where the fellowship is. He's like, yeah. No, he hasn't been out for decades. He's serving six lifetime sentences. Lifetime sentences, 25 years. Consecutive. He knows he's not getting out. But he's now a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. He's your brother in Christ. And you know, above and beyond that, even as our message we're talking about today, he knows that he's God's workmanship. Pray for David. He's, I think, maybe 70 now. Uh, but he's very valid, very authentically a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. We took a camera crew in. That's how we got the picture. Uh, brought a whole crew in. It was really hard to get this approval. We did the only, to the best of my knowledge, the only uh, interview with him of the work of the Bible behind bars with the previous Son of Sam killer, how God transformed his life. Over an hour-long interview with him. Just helped him uh, craft, we crafted questions and just like, tell us what did Jesus do? You know, all those kind of things. And it was awesome hearing from him. I remember sharing with him, wow, if you were in Queens, I would love for you to fellowship with us. 
But many times we look at someone who they used to be, and we think, well, someone that murdered that many people, who was as you know, New York's most famous, infamous, if you want to call it, serial killer, God can't save that guy. Oh, yeah, he, he can. And that Bible that he's holding there, we partnered with him. I had him write a letter. And we printed up, I forget how many, like hundreds of thousands of these. They're prison-ready, uh, paperback, on the inside cover. If you look at your Bible, it's really hard to get publishers to, uh, to okay this. The very first page, when you open the cover, it was a letter from the previous Son of Sam murderer, David Berkowitz. Basically saying that if God could use his life, despite who he used to be, that God can use your life too. So we sent him to juvenile facilities all over the United States. Uh, there's some of them probably like, still out there in circulation. But pray for David. Pray for him. He's like a modern-day Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle, the only one I've ever met. He's very valid as far as being a born-again, spiritual Christian. So can God use your life? You're not as bad as how he was, and he knows that. And he knows that God has put him on display as God's poem, his poetry. He now has a, a good writing ministry. He can't get out. He doesn't use the Internet. In New York State, you can't have access to a computer attached to the Internet. But he shares his story now. He wants to be seen now as son of hope. That is, he shares his testimony. Even as God uses you to share your testimony, it can give hope to people. As bad as he was way out here, or Saul of Tarsus, to now be way out here, spirit-filled, preaching, helping people to get saved, helping Christians get disciples. It's like, you and I are just living somewhere in between here. <laughs> God could use them. He could certainly use us too. Amen? Let's all stand, please. We're just going to close with a word of prayer. And I do want to say as we close, after we close with prayer, if anybody wants prayer or you want to discuss these things, please let me know. love to be able to talk with you. love to be able to pray for you. So I'm going to close this service with a word of prayer. And if any of you afterwards, if you want prayer, just come forward. So Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you that we are your workmanship. You're doing a work. You want us to be that work of art, that poem, that poetry. And we know, Lord, there's a process. There's a lot of junk, the filth of the past that you want to take out, that you want to replace with something new and glorious, something better. Lord, if you could use people like Paul the Apostle, who's writing in this book that we just read, or even our brother and friend David Berkowitz, if you could use people like that, you could use us today too, Lord. Thank you for their testimony of how they were once murderers, and you used their life. Moses was also a murderer, and you used him to bring your people out of Egypt. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to fully surrender to you, that you would continue to do that work in and through our lives. For we are your workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. You prepared these good works beforehand, and you're waiting for us to walk in them. But, Father, we ask that you would please empower us by your Spirit. Help us, Lord. And, Lord, whenever we do leave this building, this fellowship gathering, we want to leave as your missionaries to go out into this world. This year's not over yet. Use our lives, Lord, and help us, God, to fully commit and surrender to you, not just in 2024, but beyond. For your glory and yours alone, for we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.